Back at the plaza, Talia pulled me aside. What did Prometheus show you? Reluctantly, I told her about the vision of May Cassellan's house. Welcome to 4600. This is a podcast where two friends, me, Quinn, ah, and me, Natalie, <laughs> analyze and read and discuss whatever the Percy Jackson and the Eleven series by Rick Riordan. We are now reading The Last Olympian. This episode, we're reading chapters 14 through 16. Until yes. the end is 16. Remember, 16 is 16. <laughs> That's the important yeah. part. <laughs> we may do some strange things, but we don't split chapters here on this podcast. And I've heard that there is some confusion between the voices of <laughs> us, which yes. I think is hilarious because I don't think they sound <laughs> the same. And even the people that say that they're confused don't think they sound is the same. But so I am Quinn. I am Natalie. (laughs) I don't know how to describe our voices other than this is me. Yeah. (laughs) But I wonder how many other people, like, get confused between our voices. I don't know. Like, how, like, introduce, I don't know. How many people out there were like, oh, thank God, they finally started making a video. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and if you're still confused and you don't know what we're talking about video-wise, you can look at... 4600 on YouTube, and you can see our faces. You can match the voice to the face. That helps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get into Feel Famous with us, I just want to sort of address something that um, was discussed last episode, and I need to um, amend what I have opinionated. I don't know. Opinionated. <laughs> Quinn wants to talk about the trash ship she made up last episode. (laughs) So, um, Will and Travis, as soon as we sort of stopped recording, we started actually thinking about the Will and Travis ship, and Natalie was never for it, and I actually just sort of started thinking about it, and I was just like, um... Will's 12, Travis is 18, this is a weird ship already. And then also, there's only two lines that they talk to each other. And then also in that episode, I say some some bad things about the Clarice and Selena ship. And considering I made up a completely nonsense ship, that very moment... And then, like, five seconds later, I started yelling about a completely valid shit. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I still think it's really funny. So, what she's trying to say is... Erasing erasing the part from the episode. And then no one would even know what I'm laughing about, because I think... I think the idea of Travis and Will is terrible, (laughs) but I still have fun thinking about it. (laughs) That ship shall be forever consigned to the ship graveyard. Yeah. Yes, it sunk as soon as it set sail, much like the Vasa ship of Sweden. Look it up. But it was very elegant for about five seconds. Maybe not elegant. 
maybe lopsided and limping a little bit. And then it's done. Yeah. <laughs> Can she Let's... limp? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, <clears throat> bad shit. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Rude. So, today on Feel Famous with Us, we have two emails. Count them, two, one, two. <laughs> so, we received an email from Kat. Hello, Kat. Hello, Kat. She says hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> There's more. <laughs> oh, there is more? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I started listening to your podcast, and I really enjoy listening to both of you explain Percy's adventures. Thank you. Glad you enjoy this craziness. <laughs> While listening to episode 18, you mentioned about wanting to read books with female main characters, and I wanted to recommend author Tamara Pierce, Song of the Lioness Quartet, first book, Alana, The First Adventures. I feel like I've heard of her. I know that I've heard of that author, so I am like, I automatically put it on my list. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> also wanted to recommend author Amelia Atwater Rose, and the book is Hawk Song. I've also heard of that author. That's the thing. I worked in a library for many <laughs> years, and I read a lot of authors' names, and I yeah. feel like I know all of these people, and then I'm like, oh, I've never actually read any of their work. <laughs> Again, put it on the to-be-read to be to-be-read list immediately. You have a Thanks. Goodreads page. Me? Yeah. I, I think I do, but I don't, I don't know when I, the last time I kept it up. <laughs> I feel like if you actually maintained it, it would just be like a massive TBR shelf. I, I agree. <laughs> I think it would be. I think the last time I looked, I was like, this is insane. I don't know what to do with this. I'm just going to not manage this anymore. <laughs> yeah. I uh, hope the both of you are doing well with all this quarantine. Best wishes to the both of you and your families. Karen. Thanks for writing, Karen. Yeah. We're doing okay with the quarantine. Yeah. We're better than other, you know, <laughs> life. We just got That's another email. Another email just came in. Like, yeah. as, we've, as we're talking? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the one that came in before the one that just yes. immediately just came in. That weird person who can tell when we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> yes. First, we shall read another email from Valeria. Valeria, ha Valeria has written us before. <laughs> so, hello, Valeria, and I love that you're still listening. I yeah. love you. <laughs> Me too. Valeria. Also, I love that your icon is Pusheen. Isn't that Pusheen? The cat? I have no idea. I'm looking at it. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure it's Pusheen. It's a cute little cat guy. He's cute. Anyway. <clears throat> uh-huh. <laughs> Adaptations, history lessons, and baby centaurs. She always has such great subject lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, guys. It's me, your girl, Valeria. Hey, what's up? <laughs> I'm so happy writing to you with the awesome news of the Disney Plus adaptation. We finally won after all these years. Yes! I'm so excited! I'm wearing my <laughs> Camp Half beaded necklace. In I have mine. It's over there. I'm not wearing it. <laughs> well, it's in the vicinity. It's all worthwhile. Yes. <laughs> yes! Oh my god. 
I literally was on Twitter like five minutes before he's, it was like time for the video to be released. And I watched it like four times in a row. <laughs> I know every single time I watch the video, I just like get chills all over. Yeah. I know it's so exciting. I legit was like scrolling through Twitter and everybody was just like freaking out excitedness. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah. This is amazing. <laughs> I just I put like a post, like a general, just like I shared the video and just shared my excitement on just like my general Facebook page. And I had so many people react that I had yeah. no idea I even read Percy Jackson. <laughs> like you don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm really, really excited about it. It's going to be awesome. I know a lot, so many people are disappointed that it's not an animated series. And I'm like, dude. It's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, thrilled that it's live action. Yeah. Even though I love animated series, but going to be like, we're going to watch Percy grow. Yeah. <sighs> and people are like, oh, well, the effects aren't going to be good. Like, animation is, like, you can create anything. I'm like, dude, it's Disney. They have Disney seven bajillion dollars. They own the world. <laughs> That's why it's yeah. called Disney World. Yeah. <laughs> and they have the ability <laughs> and the track record of casting unknown people. Mm hmm It's kind of P-O-K. And make them Yeah. And we're so excited. Yes. It's going to be freaking awesome. And I know people are so I excited. I but... yelled out to my, my household. I was like, whatever. I, I yelled the news and my parents were just like, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I yelled it to my mom, and she was like, you're more excited about this than you are about grad school. <laughs> Not true. Like, well, this will last longer than grad school. <laughs> it actually will. <laughs> so excited. All right, let's continue in Valeria's uh, email. Okay. <laughs> before we get too off-tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was thinking about what Bianca said about the children of Hades' fatal flaws holding grudges. I'm not very good with history, but if I'm not mistaken, after the First World War ended with the Versailles Treaty, all the countries blamed Germany and made them pay for all the costs of the war. So Hitler, as a good son of Hades, broke hell loose in the Second World War. Is that true? That is all true. Versailles nice. Treaty was not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Served just the way for the French people to be like, hey, you destroyed our country. Can you pay us back? And Germany was like, but we're also destroyed. And France and the Allies was like, we don't care. Give us all the money you don't have. <laughs> so the Second and World also, War was just Hitler having like a massive grudge. Yeah, yeah. And then also the German, Germ yeah. At the end of World War One, Germany sort of started the whole scapegoat thing, uh, blaming the Jews for their loss of World War One. Um, so they, guess what? It wasn't the Jewish people's fault. Um, <laughs> surprise! Soccer. <laughs> Yikes! Uh, yeah, it. Yeah, World World War Two was basically yeah. It was a grudge match. It was Germany was upset. 
Well, Hitler was upset the way that Germany was treated. So Germany is all like, we shall be better now. Than... We shall take over the world. Yeah. It didn't Guess work what? It them. didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Valeria said, Anyway. <laughs> Valeria also says, anyway, my suggestion for the Baby Center name contest is Russell. Russell! I like oh, it. yeah. <laughs> All right, add it to the list. P.S. I loved Quinn's narration of the Prometheus slash Pandora story. It made me laugh so much. See? <laughs> Everybody <Yeah>. loves it. <laughs> <laughs> Love always, um, and Valeria. Were, and I got a lot of my sources for that Prometheus story from Mythos by Stephen Fry. It's like my jam for a lot of these myth stories. Mythos and Heroes by Stephen Fry. He is a great storyteller. So, recommend. Also, he he also narrates his audiobooks and the... I love it. I love it. He has a beautiful voice. It's it's just wonderful. (laughs) I have um, Mythos on my audible i haven't listened to it yet i think listening to mythos is a lot more at least for me i have to reread it um to really get all the humor and all the like funness of it um Mm. but listening to it it's just like the thing that i i put on um (laughs) yeah before i go to bed and it's like all right 30 minutes and good (laughs) that's uh the lord of the rings books narrated mm-hmm. by Rob Inglis for me. His voice is just so soothing and like, out. <laughs> <laughs> he said the other day I woke up and he was, it was in the appendix at the end of The Return of the King and it was just like made up elven words for like 15 minutes. So I was like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> Waking up to that would be so confusing. Yeah. It took me so long to figure out what was going on. <laughs> it's like, oh god, the world is now elvish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All, right, All right, but let's see the new email that we just got. All right, read it to me, man. The new email is from Elliot again, because he is determined oh. to outdo all of you guys in baby centaur name suggestions. He... <clears throat> He has suggested Perry, like Perry Johansson. <laughs> oh, I was thinking Perry the Platypus. <laughs> oh, him too. Jonathan and Fred. <laughs> Jonathan and Fred. All right. Okay. I like all of these suggestions, Elliot. Right? I think he, he just must be like typing them out. Yeah. Send <laughs> them in list. <laughs> so... We're going to close these submissions for Baby Centaur Names pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to start, like, doing, like, a contest thing where people can vote for their favorites. Sort of, like, yeah. March Madness-type style thing. Yes. You know what I mean. we got to get this Baby Centaur Bracky. name. Yeah. <laughs> Him and his, like, three chins. My mom saw the <laughs> picture. And he was, she was just like, why does, she have, why does he have so many chins? I was like, because he has no neck muscles. He's a baby. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, I know flopping. people are overly critical. It's literally a painting of a baby centaur. 
something that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be okay. Calm down. <laughs> and it's a beautiful painting of a baby centaur. Thank you very much. <laughs> Awkward in just the right ways. Yeah. So, speaking of Disney Plus, though, really quickly, on Tuesday, the 19th of May, I am participating in a panel hosted by Zach and B from Radio Camp Half-Blood, uh, where we will be discussing the Disney Plus adaptation of the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series. So, we are recording that on Tuesday the 19th, and he says it will be out on Wednesday the 20th, which is like a week before this came out, so it's already out by then. But So it's already out by the time we're talking, or by, by the time people are hearing this. Yeah, but retroactively, All right, so if you haven't heard it yet, go listen. Go and listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's going to okay. be cool. Well, because yeah, if we so didn't... we talking to like all of the Percy Jensen podcasters? Yeah, yeah we're going to have me, obviously. <laughs> you won't be there. No, lame. I won't. Yeah. Um, Robert from Consult the Oracle. Sam and Diego from the Half-Blood Report, Fran from the Best Damn Camp podcast, and Brayden from the Demipod, and obviously Zach and B from Radio Camp Half-Blood. So this is the first time 95% of us are going to be together on one thing. So I would say it's 99.9. .9. Yeah. <laughs> You're only, you only count as 0.1%. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's nine of us, so oh, eight okay. out of nine. So 80%, <laughs> right? I don't know. I don't think that's it. how math works. <laughs> anyway, I'm bringing it up now because if we didn't talk about it until the next time we record when this episode's already out, it'll already have been out for like a month. Yeah, so. so. <laughs> <can't>. <laughs> but it'll be on what feed? It will be on Radio Camp Half-Blood. Yeah. So, so that should be, be really exciting. Cool. And they're all going to be talking about the Disney Plus news. So. Yes. Lots of excitement there. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be super fun and I can't wait. All right. Shall we recap? Are you ready for chapter 14? Pigs, Pigs fly. fly. Five stars. Five stars because nice. pigs are flying. It's cool. Virtual high five. Virtual high five. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm coughing. I'm not talking. The squad heads back to the plaza following their truce meeting with Prometheus. And Talia asks Percy what Prometheus showed him. Talia remembers the night and tells Percy that she doesn't think Annabeth really understood what was happening between Luke and Hermes because she was so little. <laughs> that was such a robotic read. I know different styles of like recap, you know, and kind of getting some new energy. <laughs> the new energy is no energy. <laughs> Percy asks Talia if she knows what happened to May, but she doesn't know. Dot dot dot. She never saw her have an episode, <laughs> and Luke <laughs> never. 
<laughs> if you would stop laughing, I would stop laughing. I'm going to block out your face. And Luke never told her. Percy points. <laughs> that doesn't help. <laughs> I'm crying. What? <laughs> I'm crying. I'm laughing so much. Just keep going. I'll handle it. Percy points out that Hermes knew what happened to May and Luke's fate, but Talia isn't so sure. She reminds Percy that Prometheus could have just been messing with Percy's <laughs> messing with Percy's head, <laughs> manipulating what he saw. <laughs> this is gonna be so in in, in engaging to read, like even your robot voice. <laughs> Oh, this is just a lot of stuff is happening. I'm like crying. I'm <laughs> laughing so hard. Um, <laughs> Mazel is just reading straight from my notes, which I never do. I very rarely do. That's hilarious. But in reality, um, Tally doesn't know what's happening either. That basically sum up the situation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And but I do like uh, getting Talia's perspective on Luke. Um, just because we've never really heard from her what she thinks is Luke. Um, we sort of, like, I think by the way that she's, like, described and stuff, like, whatever in Titan's Curse, it seems very much like she is in love with Luke, and she sees, like, very little, I don't know, like, she's, Alice? like, her, not in love love, like, not romantic love, but, oh, like, like, she loves brotherly yeah. love. Like, she okay. loves him. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, Sorry. what are you trying to ship now? <laughs> <laughs> not a sh No, no, not Natalia Luke ship. No, sink it, sink it. Um, <laughs> uh, but I like getting this sort of very critical uh, response that Talia has to Luke, like, yeah, she's been different for a while. Like, I saw a clear change in him after visiting his parents' house, or well, visiting May and seeing uh, Hermes. And she said, like, during when she saw that, like, in that period when they were running to camp, Luke got super reckless. And yeah. she's already like, yeah. I can see where this is coming from, or whatever, see where the evilness is coming from. Right, yeah, she, like, it is interesting to get her perspective, because also she's been separated from him for, I mean, so long, you know, mm -hmm. a lot longer than Annabeth was separated from him. Yeah. Because he was still at camp for, you know, how many years? Mm -hmm. Five years. And I do think, yeah. It's like, I think Talia and Luke were, at one point, the closest to each other. Like, they didn't have anyone else that were closer, you know, who right. knew each other better than each other. Yeah. But Talia's been a tree for so long. And between that time of Talia being a tree, Luke and Annabeth had a lot of time together. And I think the Luke that Annabeth got to know was a little different than the Luke that Talia got to know. Yeah. Because Annabeth got to know him a lot better after he experienced whatever he experienced with his dad at May's house. Yeah. 
and like Talia said, Annabeth was so little, like, it's hard to, when you're, when you're seven years old, you don't have a full concept of everything that's happening. Yeah. It's like, look at kindergartners right now in, like, in quarantine. They're loving life. This is their dream come true. (laughs) Right. We get to hang out all day with mom and dad. So cool. (laughs) No school. (laughs) Right. And she admired Luke, and he was the first person who, like, was like, hey, I can help you. (laughs) Yeah, she was, or he was her hero. Yeah. And Talia knew him as, like, getting crazy Luke was a tree mm-hmm. and woke up and he was fighting for Kronos. Yeah. Like, so in her mind, it's probably a very much clearer line because, because she missed that in-between period. Yeah. So it's, like, completely different for her. It is interesting. <clears throat> yeah, what'd she say? Um... Because then she's like very concerned that uh, Talia is concerned that Annabeth won't have what it takes um, if she faces Luke in battle, or if she faces Kronos yeah. in ba- battle, um, which is third, which is true. Um, but then also it gets more complicated with what we learn later in these chapters. Yeah. Um, but I like what Talia says to Percy about Luke. She's like. She's like, don't fall into the same trap as Annabeth is. You, you can't start getting a soft spot for Luke just because you knew him once. She's like, we all have yeah. tough things to deal with. Our parents are hardly ever around, but Luke made bad choices. Nobody forced him to do that. It's like he did make his own choices yeah. for sure. Yeah. Like he's made his choices, even if like no one forced him to make those choices. There might have been some misguidance along the way, but these are Luke's choices that he will have to live with or die with. (laughs) Percy agrees with Talia that they can't go soft on Luke. And she's like, why don't you go get some rest? And Percy, (laughs) Percy complains, and then in parentheses, reminds us about his bad dreams when Talia insists and he goes to lay down and he's like gives Tally the pithos and asks her to lock it up in the hotel vault so he's not like tempted by it. <clears throat> Percy goes to sleep on the closest bed and of course has another dream sequence. Yay. It's so convenient that these dream sequences give him and us all kinds of information that we conveniently need and have conveniently not been given up until this point. So. Yes, very convenient. I just are people sending these dreams? Like who who's controlling these dreams? Are these just like natural demigod dreams? Like the mist lines? Yeah. Whatever. Like where what? <laughs> so many questions I have about dreams. Percy <laughs> yeah. sees three, I think, very important things in this dream sequence. Important thing number one. Percy sees Poseidon's palace, almost swarmed by the enemy monsters. The defensive walls are completely destroyed. The headquarters is burning with Greek fire. And he sees Tyson eating Skippy extra chunky peanut butter with his fellow Cyclops 
forager guys, which just sounds absolutely disgusting. Might as well just eat handfuls of peanuts. <laughs> this outside wall of the armory crumbles, and a Cyclops warrior like stumbles inside, and he's like, "They're here!" Blah blah, blah and then dissolves into sea cell. And Tyson sees the enemy getting closer, like through the hole in the wall. He grabs the fallen Cyclops club. Screams for Poseidon and leads his brothers on a charge toward the enemy. But he doesn't yell for Poseidon. He has a mouthful of peanut butter. It's disgusting. So I don't even want to think about it. It's so gross. And so everybody thinks he just yells peanut butter. So all the Cyclops follow him and yell for peanut butter. I love it. But Percy wonders what peanut butter would taste like underwater. And what an interesting take. Extra salty because they're in salt water. I don't even want to think about it. Peanut butter is like barely bearable as it is. I know. I'm not a peanut butter person. I would have like (laughs) (laughs) with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. There's a lot of jelly on there. Not a lot of peanut butter. (laughs) I like one very specific type of peanut butter and that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Important thing number two. Percy sees Ethan Nakamura chilling with the enemy army in the back woods of New Jersey, camping out at what used to be Medusa's lair. It is now nothing but a condemned snack bar slash statue shop slash site of serial murders. Yeah. Welcome <laughs> back to Auntie Anne's Garden Gnome Emporium. <laughs> yeah. Prometheus comes out of the warehouse and he's like, Nakamura, the master wants to see you. I don't know why that's my Prometheus voice. <laughs> I don't know, I, because I definitely read it more like as a guy coming out and being super huge and intimidating looking like, and then he's just like, hey Nakamura, he wants to see you. <laughs> I read it as like, Nakamura, the master wants to see you. Swap link. <laughs> <laughs> so Ethan finds Kronos lounging on a golden throne housed between the soda dispenser and the pretzel warmer, wearing jeans and a t-shirt, looking very normal and Luke Castellan-like, but mm. his golden eyes are glowing. And Kronos asks Ethan what he thought of the diplomatic mission, and Ethan's like, isn't Prometheus a better judge of that? <laughs> and he's, Ethan is nervous about being in Medusa's lair, because you know, Medusa, and Kronos tells him that she hasn't regenerated since Percy killed her back in The Lightning Thief, which is pretty exciting. (laughs) But Ethan tells Kronos that he doesn't think Percy will ever surrender, which he's right about, obviously. And Kronos, like, freezes time. Like, there's a Lestragonian giant, like, eating fries and an impusa, like, hanging out and all this stuff. And Kronos freezes time, so it's just him talking to Ethan. I guess just to show off, or I guess because he wants this to be a private conversation. I don't know. Because <laughs> he can. He's like, what happened on the bridge last night when you attempted to stab Percy Jackson, but the girl jumped in front of him and saved him? And Ethan says that he doesn't know. But Kronos insists that it's strange that Annabeth saved Percy from Ethan's knife when Percy is invulnerable. Because the staff that in, in, like emits from Kronos at that point, just yeah. like, 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 oh gosh, where is it? Um, I, oh, it's I can't so explain funny. it. Maybe she forgot. She forgot. Kronos said, 
Yes, that must have been it. Oh dear, I forgot my friend is invulnerable and took a knife for him. Oops. <laughs> I know that part's hilarious. It's like, man. Uh, yeah, and then it gets very intense immediately. But like, <laughs> but the sass coming off of him for that one sentence is amazing. Yes. <laughs> he asks Ethan where he was aiming the knife, and Ethan's just like, I don't really know. It just yeah. happened too quickly. I was just fighting. I was just aiming. I don't know where I was aiming. And Kronos doesn't believe him. <laughs> yeah. Do you believe him? I don't know. Because how could he know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody knows except Annabeth. I don't think he knows. I don't think he, or I don't think he knew that this is where the point is going to be vulnerable. Yeah. But I think he knows where he was aiming for. I think he now knows where that vulnerable point is. Yeah. Or if he doesn't know, he suspects. I think he's sort of having a conscious of, or conflict of wills. Um, can't figure out if he, he, wants to give that extra extra point to Kronos right now, you know? Maybe. Like, I think that's something that it's like, oh, uh, yeah, I might have found out this your ultimate enemy's vulnerability, but I'm not going to give that to you because if this is meant to happen, you should be able to defeat him without me telling you. Maybe. Like, he's got a soft spot or he just... I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, think that he really just he was, was fighting. Out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You can think that, and I can think <laughs> that. This is what we can think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to tell because he did stab there, and Kronos seems to think that he knows, so I don't know. Yeah. I guess we shall see. But then also, if Kronos really could, like, I don't know, I feel like if Kronos really felt like Ethan knew, knew more than he, or knows more than he's letting on, Kronos wasn't, wouldn't hesitate to start torturing half at yeah. once. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, maybe Ethan doesn't know anything else. We don't know because we're not in Ethan's head. That is true. But something interesting happens. As, yes, <laughs> shocker. <laughs> As Kronos is interrogating Ethan, he flinches like he's in pain and time unfreezes and he stumbles backward onto his throne. And just for a moment, Percy hears Luke's voice come out of his, like, Kronos's body again. Um, as if Luke were fighting his way out or something. And Ethan says that Luke is still fighting Kronos, but Kronos tells him that if he repeats that lie, he'll cut his tongue out. So, ow. And <laughs> Kronos says that he's just adjusting to the new body, which needs rest and dumb mortal stuff like that. But I think that's interesting because <laughs> a lot of, um, you know, like in Supernatural and like possession stories, they just completely ignore the mortal body's needs. Like, they don't need to eat or sleep or anything. Yeah. It's like, why would the body just stop having needs just because there's somebody else in it? 
And, and, yeah, and and that's not what's happening with Kronos, though, because he does right. need to sleep and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So I never understood that. Like, when, like, what, isn't it Cass that never has to eat because he's an angel? Mm-hmm. That it's like, but, but you're in, in a human body that needs to eat. You're feeding the body, not the soul. Mm-hmm. So I like I know. this. It's an interesting... Makes more sense to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kronos points his scythe at Queen Cess, a Dracana with green armor and a green crown, and asks if the little surprise is ready to be unleashed, to which she responds, <laughs> Yes, my lord. Kronos tells her to tell Hyperion to move the main force, force south into Central Park, where the Half-Bloods will be too disconcerted to protect themselves, and tells Ethan to work on his memory. So something bad's gonna happen. <laughs> this little surprise. <laughs> yeah. And I'm always surprised when they like when they go to the bad guy and then they say, like, all right, something's heading towards the good guys. And then they don't immediately like wait like with Percy, it's not like he immediately wakes up and faces that thing. He has another dream. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Important thing number three. Three. Percy sees Chiron, Hermes, and a woman holding a baby standing on the porch of the big house at Camp Half-Blood. It appears to be in the early 90s-ish, judging by the hairstyles of the campers at the volleyball pit. And Rick's sick burn. Rick's sick burn. Yeah. Like, oh, those 90s haircuts must be... Good to scare off monsters. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chiron says it's, that it is an honor to have the woman there, as it's been a long time since mortals entered camp. But Hermes mumbles that Chiron shouldn't encourage her, and he says, May, you can't do this. And Percy realizes that the woman holding the baby is May Castellan. But this May is super different from the May that Percy has seen. She seems warm. She's lively. Like, she can make you feel good just by being in the room with you. And Someone that it makes sense that a god would fall in love with. Yeah. And just like Maria ignored Hades, May ignores Hermes. M name women ignore H name gods, apparently. <laughs> and May says, you need an oracle, don't you? which we know is true because the oracle's in a big mummy. Hermes is getting exasperated with May, and he's like, I didn't tell you that story so you could apply. <laughs> Good old Hermes sass. Um, basically, that's because, like, he, what, she forced him to tell the story of, or the story of, what, Marie? Or no, not Marie, whoa. The oracle just being cursed or whatever they don't know about that then what story did he tell her i'm assuming just he was probably helping her to understand why she was saying things that uh, she didn't understand and like telling her about the oracle and how uh-huh. the oracle has been stuck inside the mummy for 20 plus years yeah. And she was like, oh, so I'm meant to be the next oracle. And he was probably like, no, it's too dangerous. And she's like, like you already had a kid. Yeah. 
And she's like, I know better than you do, Hermes. I'm going to do what I want because I can. Nobody ever listens. Nope. No one ever listens. <laughs> if my immortal god boyfriend was telling me, this is too dangerous for you, you will probably die, I would probably not do it. I would do it. Just or to soon. show his immortal butt. <laughs> I'm mortal. <laughs> yeah, because you would either A, die, or B, become partially possessed by the spirit of Delphi. <laughs> Chiron has forbidden mortals from trying to host the spirit of Delphi for years because it is too uh, dangerous. But May, I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. May <laughs> is dangerous, maybe? May is convinced that she was given this gift of sight for a reason. Now, Hermes is concerned that she won't be able to see him if she becomes the oracle because the spirit of Delphi was a maiden. So it's mm -hmm. like, how, how will you see me? You won't be able to marry. And she's like, you're immortal, Hermes. You're not going to want to be with me much longer anyway. And he's like... And considering all the other kids in the Hermes cabin. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he gets kind of offended, but he does love her. <laughs> and he, he loves her. Just the same amount he loves all of the women that he loves. Yeah. <laughs> May says that she can still raise Luke, so it doesn't matter. Any of them? Chiron says that he doesn't know if the spirit of Delphi would be happy in the body of a woman who has already born a child. But May's like, hold the kid, Hermes, and going up there. <laughs> so she heads up to the attic, and Hermes is holding baby Luke. And so he and Chiron are just like pacing back and forth until a green light floods the big house. And a cold wind blows through the strawberry fields, and everybody like looks up at the house, like, what's happening? And Hermes screams, No, no, pushes the baby into Chiron's arm and rushes toward the big house. But before he can reach the door, Percy just hears May scream and then he wakes up. So he always gets like just enough information. Mm -hmm. But never the whole story. Yeah. I do think it's sort of sweet though, because it does seem like May wants to become an oracle or become the oracle because that would put her into that would put her into the world that her son was born into you know yeah and it would probably also if it had succeeded it would have allowed her son to live a longer happier life but it didn't succeed nope that it sort of did the opposite. Exactly. Percy wakes up to Annabeth standing over him, holding her shield. And as he awakes from this like dream sequence, something's kind of click into place for him. And he realizes that May attempted to become the Oracle because of her gift of sight, but nobody knew about Hades' curse on Delphi. So nobody knew what the consequences would be. They just yeah. know that it, every time someone has tried for the last 20 plus years, it's gone poorly. Surprise. So there's probably other people like May out there that people just don't know about or like people well, have it died. Seem like, um, his Chiron says that no one has tried for 20 so plus maybe, years. So, yeah, could so be maybe like, what, could have been other years people. The so in the 70s, <laughs> someone tried. 
So there was someone, I don't know how old now would be like May. I don't know. I mean, could be. Did you really have to think about what 90 minus 20 was? I didn't have to think about it. You know what? Math's not my forte, man. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. Well, I'm saying it's interesting to think that there's somebody else like May or like was somebody else like May who had tried and failed. Mm-hmm. And that's why Kyra like stopped people from mm-hmm. trying. Annabeth that was asks, the reason why there's a rule. True. Annabeth asked Percy what's wrong, but he says nothing. And asked her what on earth she's doing in battle armor instead of resting because she was poisoned recently, in case you forgot. I love this interaction. <laughs> Annabeth insists that she's fine and they will need everybody they can get, which is true. And Percy tells her about his dream of Ethan and Kronos, but leaves out the part about Luke fighting the Titan because he doesn't want to get her hopes up about being able to save Luke, potentially. Yeah. And Annabeth asks the so same... what Talia said, probably. Huh? Uh, he probably leaves that out par- in part because of what Talia said, saying Annabeth's already not strong enough to face Kronos. And then on top of now, Luke, or now Percy believes that Luke might still be fighting Kronos, so he does not want to tell Annabeth that because that gives her even more hope to save him. And right. Or they all know that Kronos has to go. And right now, Kronos is inside Luke, so. Yeah. If it comes down to it, they're not going to be able to be like, oh, but we should save him. Yeah. They just have to kill him. And mm-hmm. yeah. Hope things get figured out in the afterlife. Yes. Percy asks if Ethan knows about no, Annabeth asks if Ethan knows about Percy's weak spot, but Percy says it doesn't seem like it. Um but yeah, I love it how Annabeth says are you going to argue about me coming along? And Percy says, no, you just beat me up. <laughs> yeah. And then she managed to laugh, which was good to hear. I grabbed yeah. my sword and she went to rally the troops. God, I love them. I love them. <laughs> There's yeah. so many moments in these chapters where it's just Annabeth and Percy sort of talking about fighting or running into battle and just feeling you on my side. Always. Yeah. <laughs> You with me? Of course. What do you think I am? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's really cool. I love how Annabeth is totally Percy's equal. Mm -hmm. She might not be like as powerful in regards to like being a kid of Poseidon, you know, how powerful Percy is that way, but she is just as fearless as him and just as willing to fight as him and super smart. Is, there's none of this falling down over nothing and being like, Percy, help me up. <laughs> Trash movies. Yeah, she's not there to be protected by Percy. She is there protecting Percy and <laughs> yeah. protecting herself and protecting her friends and her people. I think, I don't know, I just love that Annabeth's the one, she's kicking butt too, right alongside Percy. And yes. it's never given a second thought. 
other than exactly. she's injured right now. So should she be here? And she's just like, you need every person on your team. So right. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I love Annabeth and Talia. They're awesome. Yeah. Percy and Anima Annabeth meet Talia in the head counselors at the reservoir. And Talia points toward the north with her arrow and says, they're coming. And I love that she's just using arrows to point at things, like, Perseus <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> it's a natural, it's a pointy object. It's a good yeah. pointing. <laughs> Rover says that if the nature spirits will be able to fight anywhere, it's in Central Park. And suddenly Linnaeus pushes through the crowd, wearing woodbark armor and ready to fight. But he's still a jerk, and I do not like him. <laughs> I like that everybody sort of humors him. Like Percy's yeah. like, "Are you Grover? Are you sure you're letting this guy come and like steal your thunder?" <laughs> and Grover's behind him, like, "Just let him do it. I don't even care." <laughs> Everyone actually knows it's me. Like, yeah, because <laughs> Linnaeus says to Percy, "He's like, you told me to find Grover, so I found Grover. I'm not letting an outcast lead the satyrs." Blah blah blah, and everybody's just like. Whatever, old man. <laughs> old satyr. Crazy dude. So, Percy basically sets up himself, Grover and the Nature Spirits, Annabeth and the Athena Cabin, and Talia and the Hunters there in the park. Mm-hmm. While the other campers choose a bridge or a tunnel to protect in, Chrono- in case Kronos tries anything tricky, as yeah. Percy says. So, they chose this spot carefully because they camped out by the reservoir, just a big old body of water. You know who <laughs> loves water? Which, it, <laughs> so the way it's described is the half blood army is on like one side of the reservoir, the Titan army is on the other, and they can't go straight, obviously, so that you, they have to like split their army on either side of the reservoir. Except Percy can walk on water. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which we find out because the enemy army is led by the titan in gold armor that Percy keeps seeing. And he, the golden titan, decides to just march straight over the lake toward Percy. (laughs) And the Hephaestus kids, like, throw a bunch of Greek fire. And he just, like, sucks it right out of the air and makes it go away. And Annabeth finally realizes that this guy is Hyperion, the Lord of Light and the Titan of the East. And Annabeth says that next to Atlas, he's the greatest Titan warrior and used to control the East and is the father of Helios. Yes. So this is not a guy to mess around with. Yes. Wait, what? Sorry. This is not a guy to mess around with. No, no, he is not. He will burn you. Literally, <laughs> with fire, with light, yes. <laughs> with the <literally>. sun. <laughs> yes. So Percy's like, hmm, so you can play at this game. And he also jumps onto the water and, like, runs over toward Hyperion, who calls him the sea god's brat. <laughs> and Percy says that the titans are about as bright as my gym socks. And Hyperion's like, you want bright? boy and erupts into a column of light and is attacking percy and percy summons a tidal wave and smashes it into hyperion extinguishing him and hyperion says that they should fight on land because that's what you do apparently yeah 
Well, no, because because then it would take some of the the upper hand away from Percy. Exactly. Why would Percy agree to that? Well, that he didn't. He got picked up and thrown away. What? Remember, he got um, enough games. Hyperion told me we fight on land. I was about to make some qu- clever comment like no, when the Titan yelled. When the Titan yelled, a wall of force slammed me through the air. Just like the trick Kronos had played on the bridge. I sailed backward about 300 feet, or wait, 300 yards and smashed into the ground. If I hadn't been for, or if it hadn't been for my new invulnerability, I would have broken every bone in my body. I got to my feet groaning. I really hate when you guys, you Titans do that. God, Percy. So <laughs> so oh, okay. Cool. I see what you're saying. So he's just like, this is what's happening now. Okay. Yeah. Somehow I missed Hyperion that Hyperion took control of the situation. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> By throwing Percy away onto the <laughs> land. But guess what? Percy found a new kind, found form of water power. Yes, he is awesome. But Hyperion is getting like buffeted and he's like stop that stop that win and Percy's like what win and Grover says Percy how are you doing that and Percy looks down and realizes that he has created his own personal hurricane with hurricane Percy (laughs) with wind so strong they're buffeting Hyperion and flattening the grass around him and he's like sweet (laughs) (laughs) and he summons a little bit more power um, enough to create lightning and rain and push Hyperion back toward Grover and the nature spirits. And once Hyperion is on land, uh, Grover, Linnaeus, and the nature spirits start playing a song, like a magic song, you know. And they ensnare Hyperion in roots and they grow a tree around him, making his arms branches and literally imprison him in a maple tree. That's that so looks- cool. I know. That looks like it's been there, you know, as long as Central Park has been there. But I love this part because it's acknowledging that Poseidon is also known as, like, the Stormbringer, mm-hmm. which is hardly ever a thing. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not like we've seen storm powers come from Percy before. This right. is a completely new power. And I also like it because it's, like, a real team-up with Percy and Grover, <laughs> Both of their like at their power peaks, you know, like yeah. And Grover's finally figured out how to play a tune on those pipes. He's <laughs> <laughs> been trying since the lightning thief, and he finally got it. <laughs> yes. Starting practicing with um, Britney Spears and going up to <laughs> I don't know whatever this song is. Yeah, I love Grover so much. The Titan. <laughs> if he. At first, I was like, how, like, why wouldn't Hyperion just be able to light up and burn himself out of the tree? Yeah. I wonder, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think he still can, or do you think he's, like, incapacitated in there? I think he, he seems to not be a god of fire, but a god of light. So. Yeah. I don't know. But then also, he's a titan of light, and light can get hot. So, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's not a permanent situation. 
Um, but my thing is, this is a very bad, like, tactical move. Because we know what, we know that the, so Kronos is sending a surprise. And he also, in that same sentence of, I'm sending a surprise, he's also saying, send over the army with the leader of Hyperion. So Hyperion's not the surprise. Hyperion really just needed to wait about five more minutes before he started storming over. And guess what? Those demigods would have been distracted and completely wiped out. Yeah, that's a good point. So Hyperion moved too fast and <laughs> lost lost everything for it. Now he's in a tree. Oh well. <laughs> the Titan army starts to fall back because they're getting picked off and they just lost their leader. Then Kronos releases his surprise, and it's a massive pink sow on wings. It's basically just a female pig. Yes. And it's like the one that Pan sent them to um, get them out of wherever they were in the The Caldonian boar, right? Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Um, Percy describes the sow as a Macy's Thanksgiving Day nightmare blimp with wings. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. Very good descriptions. <laughs> Anva says it's called a Clasmonian sow and used to terrorize Greek towns back in the day, way back in the day. And Percy says, oh, let me guess, Hercules defeated it. And Anva says, as far as I know, no one has defeated it. And Percy's like, great, that's even better. <laughs> <laughs> First time for everything. <laughs> yeah. So he grabs a grappling hook from one of the Athena kids and tells the others to push the enemy back. And Grover asks, what if we can't? And Percy sees how exhausted, like, Grover and Annabeth are. And, like, he has this moment of, this is really hard for everyone, I guess. Yeah, it's a big decision <laughs> whether or not, like, all right, do I stop the, the pig that's rampaging through New York um, yeah. that will mess everything up? Or do I stay behind and save my friends? And right. it's like, if I save my friends right now, they might die later. Yeah. But if I deal with this pig right now, I don't know, hopefully my friends can handle themselves. <laughs> and they won't have to worry about it later. Yeah. So that's good. So Percy throws the grappling hook around the sow's wing and gets yanked into the sky, and we get a full-on rest of this chapter is about Percy clinging onto this rope, hanging from this giant sow as she's flying around Midtown. <laughs> and it's like a scene from uh, Spider-Man <laughs> into the Spider-Verse, where yeah. they're like... <laughs> flying around hitting things trying to avoid bland posts like oh yes. no why did i what's happening and he very quickly realizes that this is no way to attack a pig <laughs> <laughs> yeah and blackjack comes to help and he lands on blackjack which is sort of funny because he he hurts himself when he lands on blackjack <laughs> yes good old blackjack <laughs> Blackjack appears at Percy's side, and he's like, I can catch you. Probably. (laughs) Percy's like, oh, that's not very reassuring. (laughs) But Percy notices a giant statue of Hermes on top of Grand Central Station. So he whips the rope around the statue, kind of hooking it in the rope. 
and Asal pulls the statue down and Percy lets go of the rope and falls and lands painfully on Blackjack's back. But in that same moment, he kind of thinks he remembers Sally working at the station candy shop and how ironic it would be if he died on the sidewalk right outside the station. Yeah. It's like, that would be a, like, super bizarre thought you had while you're falling to your death, you know? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it would be the kind of random thought that would pop in. <laughs> yeah. So he has Blackjack pull up close to the Hermes statue and screams, Daedalus 23, kill flying pigs! <laughs> and it wakes it up and orders it to attack the south. So he now has the statue on his side. And he sees below them that the public library has statues of lions in front of it and wonders if the stone lions can be automatons too. So he has. And we back. all know who have watched Doctor Who oh. that the <laughs> angels have taken Manhattan. So all the wooden statues are weeping angels. So Percy oh. should really just not be near any kind of stone statue. <laughs> he doesn't care about that. And he has Blackjack drop him on the steps and activates the lines as well. And then the Hermes statue kind of pulls the saddle down and the lions attack it. And Percy watches these statues just destroy this sow. And he says he almost feels sorry for it because it's, you know, it's just like a creature. It's not yeah. like a motivated evil monster. Yeah, like if it had been in the plains of whatever... It would have been perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, but Kronos wouldn't mess with it, and now it's here. <laughs> yep. So after the sow is dead, the statues stop and look around in confusion, like they're looking for more sows to destroy. <laughs> <laughs> and Percy's like, hey, you can defend it, Manhattan now. But they just run off, and he's like, oh, well, at least I tried. <laughs> What's funny is because he gave the command, kill flying pigs, so even if they find the giant Caldonian boar, they're not going to kill it because it's not a flying pig. Yep. They're exclusively killing flying pigs right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Blackjack's like, can we hit, take a donut break, boss? And Percy's like, I wish we could, bud. But he sounds, <laughs> he hears the sounds of the battle getting closer and jumps on Blackjack and take off north toward the fighting. All right, chapter 15, Chiron throws a party. Four stars, because I don't like Chiron. Four stars, but that's the party I would want to go to just because, think of the music taste, a lot of Dean Martin, (laughs) Frank Sinatra, maybe some (laughs) Bubele. Oh, gosh. (laughs) It'd be a weird party. (laughs) Everyone having some, like, cocktails. I don't know, acting like it's the 50s. Chapter 15. Midtown is literally a war zone. Literally? Percy wants to stop and help everyone he passes, but he knows he needs to go where he's needed most. He literally needs to go where he needs is needed most. He and Blackjack literally do a sweep of the place, seeing that the Half-Blood army is literally fighting tooth and nail, but the enemy is still making progress, and it's like, literally, they're so close to the Empire State Building, literally. And then Percy sees it. like, literally so, like, nerve-wracking. <laughs> 
then Percy sees the Athena banner and Athena Annabeth and two Athena campers fighting, literally fighting a Hyperborean giant. So, of course, he chooses Annabeth over everybody, and he literally heads straight there and just, like, stabs it in the back of the leg. Literally, that's all that he needed to do. I don't know why any of the rest of them couldn't do that, but he literally just stabs this giant in the back of the leg, and it freezes, like, literally turns into ice, and then just disintegrates. Is that, like, so wild? It is so wild that no one else thought to just stab this giant in the back of the leg. But maybe Percy was the first person to have access to the back of the leg. (laughs) I hope so, because he he literally just lands, runs up to it, and is like, stab, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, I sort of (laughs) thought that was a little anticlimactic, too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I did like the way that they, like, froze and crumbled. Yeah, it's cool. It, like, turns into ice and then shatters, like, cracks get, gets more and more cracks and just shatters. But, and he also does choose Annabeth over everybody else. Yeah. Just putting that out there. (laughs) It's, I love it. it. (laughs) So Percy and Annabeth run through the streets together, helping the Half-Blood Army just, you know, wherever they can. But there's always another monster to replace the ones they killed. And Percy describes the fight as just, like, a wild, just constant barrage of monsters. And Grover is next to him, and then Talia is next to him, and then Annabeth is next to him. But despite everything, the squad is pushed back until they're only a block away from the Empire State Building. And just then, who should appear but Kronos, riding his golden chariot, taking his time because he literally literally, has all the time in the world. Yes. (laughs) He is the god of time. Or titan of time. Yes. (laughs) But before anything, like, dramatic happens, they hear a hunting horn, and the sound grows louder and louder and louder, and, like, the half-blood army is confused, and the titan army is confused, until the entire northern flank of Kronos' army screams and runs into the southern flank of the army, smashing into them and the an entire cavalry of party ponies jumps out of nowhere shooting arrows and paintball guns and destroying hundreds of monsters and Chiron appears and shouts sorry we're late and one of the the centaurs is like dude talk later waste monsters now (laughs) and the centaur groups are like shouting at each other where they're from they're like Illinois, South Mississippi, or something, South Missouri, or whatever, they're, like, shouting to each other, and Percy describes it as the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. (laughs) So the Titan army, very beautiful, yes, the Titan army turns and flees, and Kronos is like, no, stand your ground, fight, fight, what are you doing? But this Hyperborean giant, like, stumbles and falls on him and smashes him. Oops. (laughs) is hilarious. So the Half-Blood Army pushes the Titan Army back until Chiron calls them all to hold in place for fear they get too spread out and too, are too easy to pick off. And they head back to the Empire State Building and set up a perimeter and take a breath because it's like dawn and the monsters are going to stop fighting soon. Chiron explains that he sent out a call to the party ponies to come help and about 500 centaurs showed up from 
all these different states, like Illinois. So, like, like, does the person say, like, about 10 from each state? So it's like they, they, it was their substitute for their convention this year, annual (laughs) convention. They're like, Party Ponies, South Florida chapter, Heart of Texas chapter, Hawaii owns your faces. Chiron informed us that the Party Ponies had sent chapters from almost every state in the Union. 40 from California, 2 from Rhode Island, 30 from Illinois. Roughly 500 total had answered his call. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of horses, though. Or, sorry, party ponies. (laughs) (laughs) The centaurs, the potted ponies, are excited about their success in destroying so many monsters. But Chiron reminds them not to get complacent because he's like, Kronos will be back. But then he goes and tells them to go get root beer, even though he knows that they'll be drunk off of it. Well, it's better than drunk and present rather than bored and gone. (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) Really, how drunk can you get off of root beer? I don't know. They're centaurs. Later on, (laughs) it says Percy notices that they're giggling and pushing each other and smike root beer and is afraid that they're going to fight each other more than they'll fight the the Titan army. So... This is not a good idea on Chiron's part. So does, like, root beer on centaurs act like not your father's root beer (laughs) on normal people? Apparently. Isn't that the name of the beer? Isn't that the name of it? Yeah. Yeah. So Chiron tells Percy and Annabeth that it took a while to get all the party ponies organized enough to get them there, and then it took a while for them to get through the city's time defenses, but they are able to bend distance as they ride, so it didn't take that long. Mm-hmm. And he reminds them that Typhon is being, is beating the gods, and says that yesterday Dionysus was incapacitated, Hephaestus was incapacitated. So basically, Typhon is going to be in New York City by tomorrow, at the very least. So Talia and Chiron take off to set up some new traps and stuff like that. And Percy, like, notices Annabeth cleaning monster goo off her knife, and he's like, no wonder she loves this so much. It's like, you have to clean your knife. Is he not cleaning Riptide? Do magical swords <laughs> and blades not need to be cleaned? Maybe Riptide doesn't need to be cleaned. Maybe as soon as he turns it back into a pen, it automatically cleans. So <laughs> he's never really had to clean a blade. So, <laughs> yeah, so seeing Annabeth clean it all the time makes him think that he she's just super fascinated with it. And really, <laughs> she's just doing normal care. <laughs> I mean, if you stab a monster, and then you get monster goo on your knife, and then you put your knife back in the sheath, it's going to get nasty. Yeah. You have to keep blades clean. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that from Narnia, because what, yeah. don't, does, don't they teach, who, who, who kills the thing? What? One of the kids kills, like, a, a wolf, and then Aslan oh. makes them cl- clean the knife, or clean the sword in a really dramatic way. I don't know, I haven't read those books in forever. Or watch the movies. Aslan wants you to clean your knife. Go. (laughs) (laughs) So Aslan wants it, God wants it. (laughs) Allegory. (laughs) 
Percy finally tells Annabeth about the visions that Hestia showed him when, about when Annabeth and Luke and Talia first met, when they met Hermes and stuff. And he tells her what Ethan Nakamura said about Luke fighting Kronos. And he's like, well, maybe there is still a chance. And Annabeth tells him that she always used to feel like everything around her was changing kind of until she met Luke and like finally had a little bit of something solid in her life. And she's like, it sounds like my fatal flaw, isn't it? Doesn't it? And he's like, you want to build something permanent. That's why you want to be an architect. She's like, yeah. Why don't you build something permanent with me? (laughs) (laughs) Percy says, I guess I understand how you feel, but Talia's right. Luke has already betrayed you so many times. He was evil even before Kronos. I don't want him to hurt you anymore. Annabeth pursed her lips. I could tell she was trying not to get mad. And you'll understand if I keep hoping there's a chance you're wrong. She is not giving up on this boy. <laughs> Mm-mm. And I think the only thing that, in the, the thing that, what Percy says to her, I think the only thing that rubs her wrong is when he says Luke was evil before Kronos. Yeah. Yeah. And I, don't I don't think he was think... evil the whole time. Mm-mm. And I don't think he thought of what he was doing as evil. He thought he was doing something good. He thought he yeah. was going, he was doing something great for demigod kind. And that doesn't mean it's right, but yeah. does that make him evil? I don't know. These are the hard <laughs> questions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they reached a point where he was like, I'm not on the good side anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that probably became clear when he, like, poisoned Percy and had to flee camp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, I don't think I'm a good guy anymore, huh? <laughs> probably. <laughs> so Percy and Annabeth are standing in the middle of the street, and Percy just blinks, and everything changes, and he finds himself at a dive bar in some rural town, crashing a birthday party for some guy named Bobby Earl. And even stranger is that Dionysus is there, standing at an arcade machine playing Pac-Man. And Percy's like, what is going on here? Aren't you, like, incapacitated? And Mr. D's like, I may have crash-landed in an abandoned coal mine, (laughs) but I have enough consciousness to summon you here. And Percy's like, why me? And Dionysus is like, it didn't have to be you, Percy. Or Perry Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he never calls him Percy the entire conversation. No. Every time it's a different name, a different P name. Pierre, oh, Pedro. <laughs> 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 They're at this party because parties are Mr. D's thing. Like, he's the god of parties. He can't, he's living in party time right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Mr. D tells... Uh, Percy, that the mortals are panicking as Typhon wreaks havoc across the Midwest. Except for these people, I guess, because they're so far away from civilization. Yeah, he says, um, uh, what? But believe me, the mortals out here in the heartland are panicking. Typhon has terrified them. Very few are throwing parties. Apparently, Bobby Earl and his friends, bless them, are a little slow. 
they haven't figured out that the world is ending. Yeah. <laughs> I would argue that Bobby and Earl and his friends know that the world is ending and have chosen to party in spite of the fact. Yeah. That's a way better explanation. <laughs> yeah. I, if the world's ending in storm, I'm going to go to the local bar and party it up <laughs> with some random Bobby Earls. <laughs> Probably not. Well... Sounds like they're going to catch a deadly virus from each other by having a gathering with more than 10 people. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Different kind of world-ending scenario. Yes. (laughs) Mr. D basically summoned a demigod who happened to be Percy to deliver a warning that Percy already knew, basically, that Typhon is advancing. And if he reaches Olympus, all the gods will fade, and the entirety of human society will dissolve into chaos. Blah, blah, blah. blah. And Percy's just kind of like, yeah, I have a battle to fight to stop that from happening. I'm aware of this already. Can I go? And Like, I'm aware of this. You guys are not helping. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. D, it's funny because Mr. D keeps getting distracted by the game that he's playing. Which is Pac-Man. Yes. And I don't know if that's, like, uh, because he's not fully there kind of thing, you know? Like, his, yeah. like it's just a projection of his consciousness, which is weak. Mm-hmm. So he's getting distracted by, like, dumb stuff instead of... Or is, like, the game an allegory for the battle that they're fighting? Or maybe you just wanted to play a game? It, once again, we're faced with one of those situations. Do we want to be the English teacher or do we want to be obvious? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with the English teacher on this one because it's a more interesting <laughs> explanation. So, wait, so you're seeing Pac-Man as an allegory for war? For this battle in particular. Because he's talking about the gods getting defeated by Typhon and what will happen if that happens and then he gets eaten by the red monster the red ghost guy oh okay (laughs) i get you yeah (laughs) but then he comes back and he defeats whatever yeah yeah (laughs) i don't know if he actually does defeat it though i don't think he he actually i think he goes to like oh i'm gonna get to highest level ones i don't know he restarts he keeps going i think well, isn't that reassuring? Go now. You have some nasty surprises to deal with. And I must defeat Blinky. So he's still trying. Still yes. trying. But in the meantime, before that happens, Mr. D tells Percy that the gods need the heroes to save Olympus. And he's like, we have always needed heroes, even though we won't admit it. And he's like, use the training I gave you at camp. And Percy's like, what training <laughs> did you give me at camp? You've never trained me in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Mr. D basically is just like, well, don't let me down, Pedro. (laughs) Remember when I I told you you're better than everyone else? (laughs) (laughs) I do like that, like, Mr. D, uh, before he says goodbye, uh, Mr. D asks Percy about his son, Pollux. And it's sort of a really cute little touching moment where he's just like, yeah, I lost his brother last year. I don't know if I could do that again. And I don't know. It's just another moment where we actually get a godly parent acting like a parent. Yeah. 
And it prompts Percy to wonder if the other Olympians, probably namely Poseidon, are also thinking about their half-blood kids. And I'm sure most of them are. Yeah. <laughs> I would think they are. <laughs> if and nothing else, those kids are probably thinking of their parents, and I would think that that would sort of work as sort of like prayers, so maybe they're their parents can always know what's going on yeah. with their kids if their kids are thinking of them. I don't know. It's godly magic. <laughs> <laughs> but before he finally lets Percy go, Mr. D tells him that Kronos has not yet reached his full power. And when he does, his mortal form, aka Luke, will burn away. And this is going to happen in like one or two days. And yeah. It'll make Kronos even more powerful, and he'll be able to empower the other Titans to also burn away their mortal forms, and, like, Kronos's mere presence will incinerate everyone. Yikes. So. Yeah. They have, like, they need to take care of this, like, today or tomorrow kind of a, kind of a task list here. <laughs> <laughs> Not looking good. <laughs> the deadline is coming quick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Mr. D finally releases Percy, who finds himself just, like, staring at Annabeth, and Annabeth's like, what? Like, why are you staring at me, bro? And Percy's like, uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, oh, you're, you're not Mr. D. I have not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's another situation where Annabeth doesn't even notice that he was gone, quote-unquote gone. And yeah. Percy's eyes land on a blue car with a badly dented hood, and he realizes that it's Paul's Prius. This, all right, so this moment, these two moments, they're side by side, and I feel like that would be so concerning for Annabeth and anybody else nearby. So first, Annabeth and Percy are having a full conversation, really in depth. All of a sudden, Percy spaces out for a few seconds and comes back and is completely lost of like, wait, what were we talking about just yeah. then? Almost <laughs> as if he was having a completely different conversation. Yeah. Moments ago. And then he comes back and he's like, oh, hello. Car. And he goes <laughs> nuts. He goes absolutely nuts. And like, this guy, he has just defeated a full Titan. He has defeated crazy amount of monsters already yeah. today and you can like he's he's, it. yeah he, and he I feel like he you can just see that he's like very close to the edge uh, of exhaustion yeah. uh it sounds like from a later description uh, that Chiron sort of forces him to make um his clothes are falling apart from like <laughs> slashes and wounds that he would have gotten uh, and uh, and then he just drops everything and starts like beating at screaming and crying at this car. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's not good. Percy is uh, very close to just like a complete breakdown at this yeah. point. And it's interesting because you know chapters ago and episodes ago, like practically this whole book, we've seen Percy just being super like no battle. Time, leadership, kill monsters, defeat Kronos. Like, you know, I don't like have time his for Yeah, and then he sees Saul, Saul and Polly. 
Paul and Queen Sally passed out in the front seat of Paul's car, and he's just like, oh, my God. And then he feels kind of, he, like, berates himself for being stupid and weak. And yeah, worrying so much about them. But at the same time, he's like, how could I not have thought about them? Yeah. He's, like, ashamed that this is the first time that they're coming, like, that he's thinking of them. Yeah. But at the same time, I can't think of them because I have other priorities. Exactly. <sighs> so hard. Yeah. And you were right, like, two episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I realized it when I was reading this chapter. Because <laughs> when they're on, I think I wrote, okay, so when they're on Mount Olympus, when they, like, first get there, they see the lights that are, like, the tracking things coming in toward the, the city mm-hmm. and you're like oh wait isn't it blue lights and, yeah. and it's at the empire state building and it's like no it's green for some reason i think i wrote green in my notes so that oh, i thought that was okay. like 100 percent right but i don't know why i wrote green when it clearly i even went back and checked and i was like did it say blue it does it's blue the lights are blue so paul and sally saw the blue lights oh, and they yeah. were going to check out what was happening basically mm-hmm. Well, thank you for correcting yourself and making me right. (laughs) (laughs) You are already right. I know, but it's like proving my rightness. (laughs) Yes, so, but the most disturbing, like more disturbing than them being there and more disturbing than Percy kind of freaking out is that Pandora's pithos is strapped into the backseat of the car. And Annabeth's like, didn't you leave that in the vault at the hotel? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. So you kind of, Chiron explains that the Pythos will follow Percy around to tempt him when he is at his weakest, which is right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it kind of harkens back to his, uh, I will set his moral point, his fatal flaw. It's like flaw. his loyalty. Yes. Loyal to a fault and seeing his parents is the only thing that could knock him off the rails of, like, his goal at this point. Um, so it's sad and interesting. And he gets angry all over again, and he, like, slices through the window with Riptide, and he's like, well, put the car into neutral, push it to a side street, take the pithos, hide it on Olympus. Just can't deal with this right now. Yeah. But before they can do anything else, they hear the sounds of a helicopter, which is very strange considering the um, protections and everything, and all the mortals are supposed to be asleep. So Percy looks up and he sees that the helicopter is painted dark red with a bright green D-E on the side for Dare Enterprises. And then Chiron realizes that the pilot is asleep. <laughs> and Rachel is just like screaming in the backseat, like losing it. <laughs> And just in time, Guido the Pegasus, like, swoops down, says, you rang for a handsome horse. (laughs) (laughs) And Annabeth grits her teeth and says, come on, Percy, we have to save your friend. Ooh. Yuck. (sighs) (laughs) Annabeth, 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 when you're just... Tisk, tisk. Chapter 16, we get help from a thief. Three stars. Four stars. Because when I first read read it, I started 
just thinking of like who are all of the thieves that we know mm -hmm. and that's our main thief is luke so i got sort of some high hopes that we were gonna see some i don't know why again oh because he stole like, the lightning bolt yeah <laughs> i was like how's what is luke stolen oh i don't know the whole impetus for the first book <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, I, don't, I just didn't think it was, like, super interesting, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Earlier <laughs> in this book, we got Percy's definition of fun when he was talking about shadow travel, which he thought was awesome. And now we get Percy's definition of not fun, which is flying a pegasus toward a moving helicopter whose pilot has fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, that's not fun. No. <laughs> Annabeth and Percy fly Guido up toward the helicopter and almost get their heads chopped off. And then they fly Guido literally into the side of the helicopter and like break his wing. Literally. literally. Yeah. Oh man, I forgot to do a funny voice for this one. Oh well. I was, was, <laughs> was going to do a different funny voice for everything. <laughs> you can do a Guido voice now. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But Annabeth grabs the door handle on the helicopter, and um, it's just, like, hanging on to the helicopter as it's, like, careening all around, and Rachel's screaming in the back seat, and Guido's falling, and Percy's falling, and that's chaos. But Percy looks up and sees Rachel pulling Annabeth into the helicopter, and he thinks about Selena's lessons in Pegasus riding. And right before they become pancakes on the street, Guido extends his wings, and they just kind of tumble to the ground instead of smashing. Bam. Yeah. So the helicopter is still about to smash into a building when it, right before it, like, hits the windows, it straightens out and slowly descends into a kind of a clunky landing in the middle of Fifth Avenue. Hurrah! Yay! So Annabeth climbs out of the pilot seat, and Percy just stares at her like, I didn't know you could fly a helicopter. <laughs> she's she's just like, like, I didn't Neither did I. <laughs> but apparently she's picked up a few things from her dad's obsession with aviation and Daedalus's notes on flying machines, which I'm not sure I would trust. Yeah, how, how do you pick that up? <laughs> yeah. And Rachel's like, you saved my life. And Annabeth's just like, whatever, what are you doing here? Dare. <laughs> and she calls her by her last name. And Rachel's like, I knew Percy was in trouble, and I had to get to him and help him and warn him, blah, blah, blah. And Anna was just like, whatever. I have to go help my friends, and walks away. Like, she's got to be overdramatic, as usual. Mm -hmm. So Percy notices that Rachel's shorts are covered in Greek symbols, which is different from the usual, like, nonsense she usually has on her shorts. And she says that she's been seeing lines and drawing pictures in ancient Greek. And the whole reason she had invited Percy to vacation with them in St. Thomas was so that he could help her figure out what the heck is happening to her. Though, and really, if she wanted to know what the heck is happening to her, of the demigods that she knows, Percy is not the one that she should <laughs> Like, if she had told Annabeth, hey, this is what I'm seeing, Annabeth probably would have like put aside her dislike and been like you are a fascinating case i shall study you <laughs> like <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> so rachel tells percy that something is about to happen it's a trick that ends in death but she doesn't know whose death and she also gives him a message 
but this is what she wrote in the sand. So she's like writing things and drawing things and doesn't know what they mean. And the message mm -hmm. is that Perseus, you are not the hero. And Percy's just like, what do you well, mean? Thanks for that vote of confidence. <laughs> He's like, I'm not the hero of the prophecy. I'm not the hero that's going to kill Kronos. What is it? What does it mean? What does it mean? And she's like, I don't know. He's like, you're useless. <laughs> essentially <laughs> he doesn't say that obviously because he's not mean but he's just kind of like for giving me these vague warnings <laughs> you came all the way here to tell me that i'm not the hero how is that supposed to help me you know how many things would have been alleviated if she had just read out loud when she read out read that on the sand <laughs> right yeah but no he only gets so much information from these con convenient dreams she doesn't know what it means, but she knows it's important. So Chiron appears out of nowhere, and Rachel tells him everything. And he's like, all right, we should talk. And Percy gets a horrible feeling that the same thing that happened to May is going to happen to Rachel. And he kind of begs Chiron to warn Rachel not to do the thing that May did. And Chiron's like, I will do my best. And then he tells yeah. Percy that they moved Paul's car out of the main street and tells Percy to go get some sleep. And Percy argues. He's like, I don't need sleep. Blah, blah. And Chiron's like, even Achilles slept all day. He yeah. was constantly taking naps when he wasn't fighting things. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know, being invulnerable exhausts you. I guess so. Shocker. Percy has another dream. What? He dreams about Nico trying to convince Hades to give up his grudge against the Olympians and help save Olympus. This cracks me up because while <laughs> Nico is doing this, Hades is wa literally, literally walking around with his hands over his ears, going, la, 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 la. "Yeah, I can't, hear you. I can't hear you. What? What? Yeah, he's so immature." <laughs> and you are a god <laughs> yeah um, and then Persephone and Demeter are arguing about cereal <laughs> yeah and Nico says like why am I the only one acting like an adult <laughs> I am the child here <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it basically ends with Hades getting mad at Nico mm-hmm and then Percy dreams about Kronos standing outside the United Nations with his army, and he tells Ethan to go release the Dracon immediately. Yikes. Big time yikes. <laughs> and Ethan stupidly says something about Kronos' regeneration, and Kronos freezes him, mm -hmm. and then releases him, and Ethan collapses to the ground because he's like... Because he was frozen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Prometheus warns Kronos that it might be too dangerous to release the Dracon now. And Prometheus says that Kronos used to say that it's beneath his dignity to fight a mortal. But here he is fighting Percy three times. Yeah. And Kronos kind of gets angry and he's like, are you disloyal to me, Prometheus? Do you want to go back to your friends, the gods? And Prometheus immediately backtracks and shouts, get ready for battle. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> not, not disloyal. <laughs> Let's go fight. 
So Percy wakes up to Grover standing over him and says, they're coming and we're in trouble. And they are. The Half-Blood Army is seriously dwindling. They're out of Greek fire, the Apollo cabin, and the hunters are out of arrows. They've eaten too much ambrosia and nectar to get any more, and the party ponies are drunk on root beer. Silly. Apparently, Rachel has seen the Dracon that Kronos Yeah, wait. Oh, sorry. I just want to say, because I just found it, and he says, we had 16 campers, 15 hunters, and a half a dozen satyrs in left in fighting shape. They came in with, what, 150? I don't even know. Or the campers plus the hunters plus 12 satyrs, yeah. Yeah. And they only have that many. What? Yeah. Like, crazy. This is intense. This is a real battle. It's not one of those battles you see in books that are kind of like, oh, it was bad. Like, no, people are dying. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like, <laughs> oh, what is it? I think in, I think in, I never read, I didn't read, read these books very attentively. The Divergent series, I feel like there was a battle at one point, And they keep saying, like, oh, hundreds of people are dying. But they don't show that. And it's like, you don't really get that feeling of people are dying. And in this, you're not seeing that just the same way as Divergent. But you're feeling those losses, I feel like, a lot more. And maybe that's just because I'm more into this book than Divergent. But... Well, we also see Percy and the squad fighting left and right. It's not like, you know, they stab one monster and then they observe. Like, no, they are fighting the whole time. It's not like uh, Bilbo in The Hobbit (laughs) getting knocked on the head at the beginning of a battle and waking up and being like, oh, my friends are dead. (laughs) Yeah, and don't forget the fact that Bilbo hides. Yeah, yeah. Put like, on his ring, get knocked. <laughs> yeah. Yeet. What is it? In the Battle of the Far- Five Armies, he puts on the yeah. ring, gets knocked in the head with the rock, is passed out, invisible for the rest of the battle. Yeah. Up. Everyone's and like, then who a- are you? <laughs> One of the men comes and is like, "We almost gave up, gave up looking for you." And he's like, <laughs> "I didn't hide." <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Where were we? <laughs> Chiron is Jack explaining. On. That this dracon is a Lydian dracon, the oldest and most dangerous kind. And Rachel says that it will be killed by a child of Ares. And Percy's like, we don't have any children of Ares, Rachel. Come on now. It's like, thank you for saying that. (laughs) We're stuck then. (laughs) (laughs) Percy realizes that the spy must have told Kronos that no children of Ares had ever come to fight the war. Because why else would he have released that particular dracon? And Tally's yeah. like, if I ever find your spy, he'll be sorry. <laughs> and they're like, maybe we should spend, send another message back to camp. And Chiron's like, yeah, we already, we already did that. <laughs> yeah. So then the dragon appears. <gasps> Yikes. And it's a serpent-like creature with eyes that can paralyze you just from looking at you. And armored scales and poisonous venom and razor-sharp teeth. And the dragons are like millennia older than dragons. Yeah. They don't have legs. They just slither around. And basically the rest of this part is like a giant 
It's a fight scene. <laughs> yes. Percy, Annabeth, and Mrs. O'Leary start finding the Dracon, and they look for her weak links in its armor, and Annabeth goes invisible, and Mrs. O'Leary jumps on it and gets slammed, and Percy manages to stab straight through the monster's left eye, but it doesn't really do much to deter it. And meanwhile, everybody else is still fighting Cronus's army. And just as Percy is like, how on earth are we going to defeat this thing? He hears the rumbling of chariots, and the Ares campers have finally arrived! Woo! With Clarice herself leading the charge in her red armor and her electric spear. So it's awesome. There are 30 fresh warriors, and one of their Ares kids, so they'll be able to kill the dragon. And Percy kind of notices that Clarice's voice sounds a little shriller than usual, but he's just like, ah, I'm scared. She's probably scared. <laughs> so some of the Ares campers get killed by the Dracon, and Percy tells Mrs. O'Leary to stay back so she doesn't get hurt anymore. And she, he screams encouragement at Clarice, and she looks at him, and he notices that her eyes are blue, and he's like, and they're also full of fear. And he's like, wait. Clarice doesn't have blue eyes. Wait! But before he can stop her, she charges the dracon and gets a face full of poison spit at her. And then he hears another voice from the other direction, shaking with grief, and looks up and sees Clarice. Wait, what? Clarice is right there on the ground with a face full of poison, but that's Clarice. What is happening? So the campers are trying to help armor girl, the fallen girl, remove her helmet, and Chris Rodriguez is there, and Clarice, like, grabs her electric spear from the fallen girl, jumps up onto the dracon, and stabs it through the eye with enough force to break the spear and send electricity surging through it, finally killing it. And everybody's staring at her, amazed, and like, oh, she just killed that thing. But Clarice runs straight to the fallen girl wearing her armor, and Annabeth finally manages to remove the girl's helmet, and Percy realizes with a sick feeling that the girl in Annabeth's arms is Selena Beauregard. Boo. Boo. Oh, God. I remember reading this uh, for the first time and just being, like, utter twist. Did yes. not see it coming. This <laughs> time I saw it coming just because of the things and I had read yeah. it before and like I don't know some of the myths are sort of there <laughs> you could you could predict by knowledge of previous myths um geez. so heartbreaking actually, yes actually I've forgotten about it <laughs> <laughs> so I really experienced this all over again See, that's the cool thing. If you wait long enough, you forget everything, and then it's yeah. like the first time all over again. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's just so sad. It is very sad. And it's only going to get worse. I know. Because, like, in the next chapter, we're going to get, like, the final words of Selena. Yes. Hurrah! I'm not <laughs> crying already. Huh? <laughs> Was that a Grover voice? <laughs> sure, that was Grover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so lots of fighting culminating in a very sad death. Yes. Because this death we are seeing. <laughs> well, she's not dead yet, that's the thing. 
She ain't far from it. Mm-mm. And she doesn't really have a face anymore, so. Yeah. Her once beautiful features are. Um, a melted pile of goo. Yeah, thanks for filling that in. <laughs> deformed. I was trying to find the word deformed. I like the melted pile of goo a little bit better. <laughs> Brody. Poor Selena. I know. This whole situation's about to get a lot more complicated. Oh, it's gonna be so bad. But that's for next episode, when we can cry about that. Now it's <laughs> yes. time for Oh My Gods! Oh My Gods! <sighs> we don't have any so, gods. Oh, yeah. I guess <laughs> I could have, I was thinking about this. I was even talking to my mom, who has zero context for any of my conversations <laughs> whenever I talk about Percy Jackson yeah. or podcast, anything. And I was just like, I don't know if I should talk about the end of the Achilles story or a part of the Achilles story with this. Because there is a part of the Achilles story that mirrors the Clarice and Selena relationship and Selena end. But maybe next time. Yeah, maybe next time I'll have finished reading Song, wait, Song of Achilles. But in the meantime, if you actually want just a really good depiction of the Achilles story, because I will never be able to do it justice, you see the Song of Achilles, read it. <laughs> or find freaking Mythos and Heroes yeah. by Stephen Fry. Great books. I'll figure out a way to talk about it without crying. Who, read, who wrote um, Song of Achilles? Because she also wrote Circe as well, too. I, just, I literally said the word also in three different ways. Her name is Madeline Miller. She wrote Song of Achilles, and then she also wrote the book Circe, which is also a very good book. But she wrote Song <laughs> of Achilles before she wrote Circe, which is not the order that I have read them. That's anyway, going to be fun. There are no gods, so... Yeah, there are no yeah. gods. Gods don't exist anymore. <laughs> no, no. Bring on the monsters, I guess. Bring on the monsters. <laughs> so our first monster is Hyperion. I, I put in my notes Hyperion below the sow because for some reason in my mind I've remembered Hi- Hyperion coming after the sow because oh. that would have just log- it would have made more sense battle plan wise. Um, but I forgot the Titans aren't good at battle plans. <laughs> so. <laughs> Hyperion! Hyperion, like many other titans that we meet, are not all that present in the myths. That said, he is a lot more present than the other titans than we may meet, or that we meet. Um, and that's because of what he represents. Titan was the god of heavenly light. He was the father of those who light up the heavens. East Eos, the dawn. Helios, the sun, and Selene, the moon. So if it gives light, guess what? Who gave that light to those people who were given light? Helios. Hyperion. Or no, what? Hyperion. (laughs) (laughs) Hyperion. Okay. His wife was Thea, who was the blue sky. So that's sort of cool. So like light and sky had all the things that fill up the sky. Um, 
the meaning of his name is also sky related meaning watcher from above or who or or he who watches or wait what he who goes above sorry so it either hyperion is he who goes above and humans are those who are below <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> So Hyperion was one of the Titan brothers who helped Kronos hold down their father, while, uh, Uranus, while he, while they chopped him up into tiny bits. Uh, Hyperion held his father down at the most eastern port point, which made him the god of the east. Uh, so like the god, or the Titan who was holding him down at the, or, did I say east? Yeah. The guy who was holding him down at the western point, he was the god of the west. Hyperion is holding him down at the eastern point. We got these. Gotcha. East. Sun. Light. Sky. <laughs> Hyperion. There you go. <laughs> he a big sun guy. Yeah. Are you ready for the cal- mm-hmm. Cal- Calsmonian sow. Plasmonian. Plasmonian? What did I say? I don't know. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the Clasmonian sow, which is not the Chromonian sow, killed by Theseus. But is it? I don't know. I, really don't know. Mm. I guess not. So on and Wiki... They make a big deal about how the Clasmonian sow is not the same as the Cromonian sow, but then they describe the Cromonian sow. So, <laughs> is there an issue on the wiki, or is there an issue with myth? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I would probably go with Rick. <laughs> okay, so if we're going off of what Annabeth says. The Clasmonian sow is a giant flying pig that was never defeated and never never defeated, and it terrorized the Greek countryside. Now, depending on different myths, because I can't, I couldn't really find anything. Again, like Annabeth, I couldn't find anything that said yes. The Clasmonian sow, which was a flying pig, was killed by blah blah blah. But there was a lot of people that would say the Clasmonian sow, which was not a flying pig was killed by Theseus. Mm. So, I don't know what's happening here with <laughs> the myths. Um, <laughs> so, uh, in, normal, in most of the things that I found, the Clasmonian sow and the Cromonian sow, if they were distinguished apart, they were described as the same. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So, um, it was the daughter of Echidna and Typhon, Typhon, so. Yikes. It's a monster child of the mother of monsters and the father of monsters. It's a purebred monster right there. Uh, I think it would be a little scarier. You would think, instead of just a big pink pig with wings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some say that it was also called Thea. Others, like, that was its proper name. But, Others say that the sow was a man-eating pet of an old crone named Thea. Wow. Others say that the sow, wait, or then some say that the old crone named Thea would transform herself into a giant flying pig. 
to terrorize the country sky. And then there are still others, people, who say <laughs> that Thea was a old crone woman person who uh, terrorized the countryside and robbed, robbed and killed tra travelers and was known as the, a sow because she lived in the wilderness and was known for her cruelty and was dirty. What? This yeah. literally makes no sense. Exactly! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. There's, there's lots of questions. Um, but in the idea that that um, that something killed the Cremonian Clasmonian thing, Theseus did it. Blame Theseus. He smushed it with the I don't know, whatever Theseus uses. Probably, um, I think, a, a club. <laughs> because he's Theseus. Uh, he was on his way uh, from Trozen to Athens, clearing the roadway of monsters and bandits and murderers. And on that trip, he killed the Chromian... 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 Sow. Now, is that sow... The Clasmonian sow that flies? We don't know. We'll never know because it's a myth. But <laughs> it's a myth. So you can't really, I don't know. Don't put so much faith into it. <laughs> <laughs> if they haven't figured it out by now, they won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just know there was a pig that flew. It might have died, it might have not. There was a different pig that didn't fly, or maybe it did. And it did die. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a completely different pig that was killed by a different thing. But oh, also, gosh. but the uh, Cremonian sow, whatever it was, may have been the mother of the, oh my gosh, why? The, the boar, the Caledonian boar. So... They wouldn't, gotcha. I don't know, Percy makes a joke like, oh yeah, this would be the Caledonian Brewer's girlfriend. Gross, <laughs> that's his mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So now we can talk about the Lydian dragon. So Lydian dragons did what dragons do best in myth. They terrorized the countryside and kill people. Until, that is, Hercules came to down and Herc, good old good old Herc. Herc <laughs> took down her, the dragon down easily with the victory was like depicted in the stars in the constellation Ophiuchus. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yay, <laughs> Hercules. But there's a different story that's, oh, I, personally, I think a lot more interesting. So here we go. There is a diff, uh, because every, every myth has like five million different myths. As we said. <laughs> oh, don't get me into it. So, <laughs> Oh, there's <laughs> so there's a different myth that has the giant Damason slaying the like like Lydian dragon. Damason is someone that we will meet in Heroes of Olympus, and people who have read Heroes of Olympus might be going like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> just like but, that, yeah. <laughs> um, or they might just start weeping uncontrollably. You never know. So Damason was this, or is the son of, or mm, is the giant son of Gaia and Tartarus, born to be the foil to Ares. Ares being the 
uh, being Ares foil, where Ares was warlike, warlike and angry, Damison was peaceful and nice. He spent his life in the mortal world, living as a farmer. Until one fateful day, a dragon appeared in the mortal world. Uh-oh. And this dragon killed one of Damison's best friends. Oh, no. Yeah. And Damison was sent into a rage. So, and he tracked down the dragon and he killed it. Nice. But for this, he was condemned to Tartarus because the guys in charge at that moment wanted to terrorize and ravage the mortal world. So by killing the monsters, you were going against what the guys in charge wanted to happen. Who are the guys in charge? Uh, the gods, maybe the titans, maybe, I during the giant Takami thing, during a big giant war. Oh. Like there was a war with the Titans, there was also a war with the giants. Um, and the giants were made uh, as, this is like a whole thing in Heroes of Olympus, Natalie. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, never mind. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a war between the giants and the gods. And this is happening during that war. So there's certain people that want the want to destroy the mortals in order to make whatever. And Damison sided on the side of the mortals. And at that point, no one was supposed to be siding on the side of the mortals. So might as well just put Damison, the nice titan, into Tartarus. And in Tartarus, he was forced uh, to, every day, he would have to re-defeat the dragon. So every day the dragon would reform. Every day the Damison had to kill the dragon. It was Sucks. a brutal, brutal cycle. But hooray from Danikin for this, like, I don't know, maybe this one day, the dragon's out of Tartarus, so he gets a fit little vacation. Yeah, there you go. For one day. Maybe he's How out nice. of Tartarus. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you ready for quest queries? Quest queries. Ooh. Are Percy's Are, <laughs> are Percy's dreams an annoying plot device to give him information he needs, or a well-crafted theme throughout the books? Mm. Telling you right now, it feels an awful lot like a plot device. Uh, yeah, I would say plot device, um, unless they introduce someone as uh, being the person who's been giving Percy these dreams this entire time. True. Like, if someone comes out and be like, yeah, by the way, Percy, all those dreams you've get been getting, all the messages from me, baby. I've been on your side from the for the entire time. I'm like working in the computer in the tech support office or whatever. <laughs> you know, like in what's his name, Wade in uh, Kim Possible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if that happens, then I will accept it. But yeah, right now it just seems very much just like a plot device. Percy needs this piece of information will conveniently exhaust him, so he has to go to bed and get it. Like, come on. It literally <laughs> happened four times. Yeah. In this three-chapter space. 
is a lot of dreams. Lots of dreams. <laughs> uh, we already talked about thing. that one. It's a demigod thing. It is a demigod thing. Which cabinet Which... is Chris Rodriguez in? I'm going to look that up because... I feel like he was in Hermes, but I don't know okay. if he was unclaimed. I'm on the riordanfandom.com. Oh, yeah. All right. Chris Rodriguez is a Greek demigod from the Hermes cabin. Oh, yeah. It was revealed in the Ultimate Guide. Um, yeah. So I guess it's revealed in one of those extra little books, you know, that we haven't mm -hmm. read yet. Yeah. ultimate guide what's that is he actually a hermes kid or is he just so living in there yes he is from the hermes cabin and was later revealed in the ultimate guide to be a son of hermes oh, okay and boyfriend of clarice larue what other questions okay so do female pigs have higher pitched squeal than male pigs i don't think so I don't either. Percy makes like a really big deal about this. Oh, it sounds like a higher pitched squeal. Like probably I can tell from afar that this is a female pig. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, how? Yeah. I've never heard a different uh, it's not like I've been around pigs that much, but never heard people talk about a difference in sounds of pigs' voices. Yeah. I'm like I'm trying <laughs> to picture like walking down like the farm or whatever the four H barn. Yeah. The pig farm or pig barn. That one's pinker and it's got a higher pitch squeal. That's a female pig. That one, if I put my finger in, I could touch its nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was great. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So this episode, episode thirty one is over. Episode 31. I cannot believe we're on episode 31 already. Me neither. It's craziness. It really is insane. I know. And what, now we're going on to chapters 17? Oh my god! We're so close. We only have two more episodes in this book. Maybe, depending on how we do things. <laughs> I mean, I've laid it out in the schedule, so if we stick to the schedule for once in our <laughs> freaking lives... We only have Schedule two more episodes. Craziness. No, we have to finish this book. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Yes. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at floor underscore six hundred, and Tumblr at floor six hundred podcast. Email us at floor six hundred pod or wait no floor six hundred dot Gotta put that dot there. <laughs> Podcast at gmail.com. Another dot there. Yes. <laughs> Join our Patreon at <laughs> patreon.com slash floor 600 to help us improve this podcast. Get some cool perks. Don't forget to check out our Redbubble shop at redbubble.com slash people slash floor 600 slash shop. And as you always... Get a baby centaur. Which... We're still taking name suggestions for for like three more days. March May 31st, last day to send in your name for the ballot. Yup, yup, yup. Yes. So, yep. Yep. as always, rate yep. us, review us, subscribe to us, subscribe to our PJL podcast friends, and yeah. thank you for listening.
Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye now. Bye now now.